0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we're going to do something slightly different. Rather than putting out our ordinary podcast, we are looking at the French election and the rise of Emmanuel Macron from a different angle. Several times on the podcast we've looked at what was happening within France and have had discussions with our Paris office and with ECFR council members about the political dynamics within the country. But today we're looking at France from the outside in. Manuel lafont hapnui hosted a very, very interesting discussion with the heads of most of ECFR's offices from around Europe, with Josef Janning in Berlin, Susie Dennison in London, Piotr Burras from Warsaw, Silvia Francescon from Rome and Vesla Chernova from Sofia. And they look at what Macron's elections means for the future of the European project, for relations with Germany, for Eurozone integration the example that it sets to Italy, what it means for countries outside such as Poland and also what it will mean for the Brexit negotiations. We found this discussion so interesting that we decided to substitute it for our Ordinary Programme. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and
1: welcome to the new podcast of the Paris Office of the European Council on Foreign Relations. Um, It's been a a quite an uh, incredible scenario for the French election and it seemed that there was even more interest for this election, not just in France, but uh, also all across Europe than usual. In your respective capitals, uh, it would be very interesting for uh, our listeners if you could tell us what do people think was at stake with this election. Why was it so important for everyone and why was uh, everyone paying so much attention to, to the debate that was unfolding in France, actually not just for the second round but for quite some time. Joseph, maybe Joseph Janning from Berlin, uh, what, what would be your take on that?
2: Well, uh, Manuel, in Berlin, this election has been followed with special interest, um, basically because uh, the Franco-German relationship, in the eyes of Berlin, is the core relationship in Europe. If that relationship breaks apart, um, nothing good can come out uh, for the EU. So um, the 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 mere possibility that an anti-EU, of Brexit, leave the Euro type of campaign could win the presidency uh, was frightening in Berlin. So the the, uh, relief was uh, enormous uh, when the news came in that Macron uh, had won. But ever since, um, the uh, reaction has been characterized by the speculations of um, um, how Uh, likely is to be able to push through the reform program and how it would become possible uh, for Germany and France to agree uh, on a European scheme uh, of reforms to, to help and support the French reforms.
1: So, if I understand correctly, there's both a negative dimension to it, fearing a a Frexit outcome, for instance, but also a positive dimension about uh, what is it uh, uh, that could result from this election in terms of uh, European policy and and common agenda. Is is that something that other colleagues agree with? Yes, sure. Vesela from Sofia.
3: Uh, thanks a lot Manuel I think this is uh, the the core um, of the issue and this is why also uh, yesterday the Europe day kind of felt different for the first time uh, we f- since uh, I would say a couple of years ago we are more optimistic about Europe uh, than we were before and we think mostly uh, about Europe in terms of more integration and the sheer fact that it's possible nowadays to win elections on a European platform and to win them with uh, uh, 66% uh, percent is um, kind of very, uh, I would say, shocking uh, not to sound uh, too tacky if I say inspiring. Um, I think the One of the big lessons however uh, from the European dimension of of the French election is that uh, the future of the integration is going to happen almost entirely within the eurozone and this is very visible from outside of the eurozone the the, You know the perspective of Europe uh, going deeper in some areas uh, after this election is clearly um, pre, pre kind of being dominated by the reforms of the Eurozone, the governance of the Eurozone, um, and so on. And um, we can talk about the foreign policy dimension of this, but uh, I think uh, this principle alone or, or this uh, consequence alone is serious enough. Uh, for the future of the EU and especially for the countries uh, which are uh, which are
4: still not in the Eurozone.
5: Can I come in? Uh, this is Susie.
1: Sure. Uh, Susie Dennison.
5: Thank you. From, from, so from a British perspective, from, from the point of view um, of a country on its way out of, of the EU and having always been outside the Eurozone, just to confirm um, that um, it is exactly that which is very striking that um, the, the French elections have shown um, the extent to which um, those in the UK who thought that by voting Leave they were sort of part of, the, um, of, of a global of a global trend um, uh, towards uh, more nationalism, um, uh, uh, pitching into this sort of the anti-European sentiment that we've been aware of um, as a latent force across Europe. Um, over the past um, growing over the past decade. Um, it's, the, it's, it's been very striking to the extent to which that the, the Macron's win has come as something as a shot to Britain to, to realise that in fact we're not part of the trend. Um, in fact, we, we've, we've gone against it. And um, uh, the, the idea that, um, that Macron's victory means um, that, that the Franco-German motor is back on, um, back on track, um, that um, integration is back on the agenda for the EU and so on, that is seen in, in quite a threatening um, light, because everything is viewed through a very narcissistic lens in the UK at the moment, uh, through the, concept of, um, through, through the um, prism of both Brexit and our national elections which are coming up. And certainly, for the brexit negotiations it's clear that um, this this um, new direction or if you like a, a reconfirmation of a, of a direction um, Uh, for for Europe, which which goes um, uh, more towards working together, um, is bad news for the UK in terms of the Brexit negotiations. And um, uh, Macron has been very clear in his programme that um, one of his top priorities is to protect the single market as part of those discussions, Um, and he has a very clear agenda in terms of strengthening um, the architecture around the Eurozone. so, so yes, yeah, just to confirm that from the UK perspective, that, um, this isn't good news. Although, outwardly, um, the government and, and all parties are welcoming Macron's win.
6: I would would like to follow up on uh, what Vesela said about the Eurozone. Brass, from
1: Warsaw.
6: Exactly. I, I mean, uh, Poland, like, like Bulgaria, is a uh, non-member of the Eurozone. And and here, the, the worry is that uh, Macron is uh, very much focused on the strengthening of the Eurozone, but not so much concerned about the unity of the EU as such. And of course, his criticism uh, about uh, the situation in Poland, about the, the rule of law in, in Poland, um, I would say it a legitimate criticism, but it, it went not unnoticed. And uh, But what is even more important, I think, are potential consequences uh, of Macron's uh, policies for the single market. Because the, the worry also is that uh, the reforms envisaged by Macron, both uh, in terms of the domestic economic policy and the Eurozone architecture, will certainly impose a lot of hardship on, on the French citizens. And in order to sell them um, to to his voters, Macron will have to um, to deliver on the, for example, social agenda at the EU level, and it means uh, it would mean uh, some protectionist measures, uh, for example, regarding the labour mobility, um, posted workers, um, all. Uh, issues which have already been under discussion in the EU, but this discussion might get exacerbated um, uh, through some uh, policy steps uh, which uh, Macron himself uh, even signed out in his electoral uh, campaign, especially before the second uh, round of the election. So uh, so this is, I think, a big question. Um, to what extent the reform of the eurozone um, and uh, this um, possible protectionist agenda might uh, come at the expense of the EU unity and um, at the uh, expense of the of the single market.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Piotr. Um, Silvia or maybe Borja, who has just joined now, I see. Uh, do you have anything to, to add on why do you think that's, that there was so much interest for this? Uh, election in France and how was it relevant from your national perspective?
4: Yes, of course. This is Sylvia from Rome. Um, I have to say that answering your question, what's at stake uh, in Italy was perceived as a very much the very survival of Europe. Everything was seen as dependent on the outcome of this election. If Le Pen wins, it means the end of Europe, that was uh, actually the thinking in Italy. So I can tell you that this would have also had a pretty much of uh, a domino effect for all the party and movements in Italy that are more Eurosceptic. Um, In terms of what Bethleh said before uh, the future of integration stays very much within the Eurozone, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think uh, we are going very much towards a pretty narrow group of, uh, a core group of countries. It is pretty clear that uh, the Franco German uh, engineer is, is going, engine is going to be uh, force again. Whoever is going to win in Germany, certainly. Uh, with Angela Merkel and Italy will try to do its best to be among uh, those countries of course and uh, you can see already that there is uh, some uh, movement uh, behind the scenes of course this will very much depend on the outcome of the Italian elections which most probably are going to take place at the beginning of next year so everything has to be seen in Italy and who is going to win and that is something that we would, maybe we want to watch out in the future.
1: Yes, and and we'll get back to the populism points that you raised Uh, Sylvia, thank you very much, but before that, we've discussed a lot about the fact that people have been paying attention to how Europe was debated how there were anti-European people threatening to put France membership to the EU to referendum and and Vesela has pointed out the the, uh, kind of surprise of seeing someone elected with a big score, with such an unabashed uh, pro-European agenda, Foreign policy also has been uh, quite a topic for discussion in this uh, political campaign, uh, and, and on a few topics where uh, in European interests and European common positions are at stake. And I'm thinking, in particular, uh, of the debate on Russia policy. How was this? Uh, international part of the French discussion and and the role of Europe on those international issues how was it perceived? Uh, Vesela maybe you can have a first take on that
3: Um, I think this was watched carefully simply because France is not only an important EU member state but also France had Somewhat an ambiguous uh, role, vis-à-vis Russia. We remember 2008, Georgia, uh, President Sarkozy's role at that time, and ever since, uh, France has been much more on the dovish side on Russia, um, um, and as such, uh, has been uh, the um, spokesman for for the southern. Um, part of Europe who have less to do with Russia or are less interested in um, in uh, having in being uh, in kind of that, uh, bad, bad relationship. So Macron watched very carefully um, and uh, people also remembered his visit I believe it was in January 2016 when he went um, to Moscow and spoke uh, about uh, lifting the sanctions um, but then, you know, when everything with uh, with the leakage uh, from his emails and so on happened, um, I think this whole Russia drama all of a sudden stopped being interesting because people realized uh, that there would be no uh, no mercy <laughs> towards Russia, or at least there would be no uh, willingness uh, to agree. Um, and to create any cost. Um, And uh, I think people realize also that Macron is much more of an economist than a foreign policy person, uh, and that he looks at that relationship from that perspective. Now probably he has added also a strategic dimension to his
1: outlook. Okay, is this uh, initial apprehensions and maybe fears and now some kind of reassurance and a sense that macron may actually stick to a common policy uh, specifically on russia is this a perspective that is shared uh, across europe does anyone want to comment on that
2: well if i can come in joseph from berlin Manuel, uh, i'd like to say that here that part of Macron's foreign policy agenda has received much less attention than than his EU policy uh, reform agenda. Uh, part, in part because, at uh, least uh, in is my sense, that uh, uh, the political class here in Berlin is less concerned about uh, French leaders, you know, apart from Marine Le Pen, being soft uh, on Russia or being appeasing to Russia. I think that even goes for... François um, Fillon. In Germany, uh, uh, political uh, actors are uh, used to also being seen as being too dovish uh, on Russia, and they don't think they are. And mostly, they don't think uh, that the French uh, presidents, whether it is has uh, been Hollande or Chirac or Sarkozy, have been too soft uh, on Russia. Usually, I think there is quite quite a solid franco-german understanding that somehow one has to deal with russia but russia is not very attractive uh, to leaders uh, on either side I, I don't see any any russophiles in the front row of german politics or french politics
1: uh,
6: Piotr, from the, yeah. from, yes, from the Polish perspective, for understandable reasons, of course, the, the uh, question of the French uh, presidential candidates' attitudes to, to Russia has been very much on the, um, on the minds of, of the Polish observers, and, and here, um, as much as there was criticism about Macron, and his visions uh, regarding uh, the, the internal dimension of the EU integration, especially in the national conservative circles in Poland, there was a, a, quite a considerable appreciation of his uh, position towards um, Russia, and especially in the background of uh, the other candidates. Um, uh, approach approaches. Um, Marine Le Pen uh, clearly was seen as, uh, as a big threat, uh, not just for the for the EU, but also to the to the EU's foreign uh, policy and, and uh, an approach um, to the Russian-Ukrainian war. Uh, but also François Fillon and his um, opinions about Russia, his um, very tight contacts uh, with, with Russians, um, that was seen very, very critical. Uh, so Macron is, is clearly, from the Polish perspective, the best choice when it comes to foreign policy, because Poland, you know, the, the, the main focus is of course on this, on this eastern dimension of EU's foreign policy.
1: Okay, Um, I I suspect uh, Susie would tell us that from the British perspective, just as in Germany people were looking more more at the EU, from the UK people were more looking at, at the Brexit issues.
5: Yeah, right. I mean, I think, um, I, yeah, as, as I said, Brexit is the sort of the number one interest, but um, and a number of other elements of, of Macron's um, external policy um, were tracked quite closely. So, um, his, uh, his his position on, um, on being very pro-free um, trade um, is, is clearly of interest um, in the UK, firstly because it, uh, it, it it moves france potentially to being um, more like-minded um on this um, um more like-minded with the uk than has been the case um uh, uh with the previous in- administration but at the same time um again the brexit discussions and the uk desire to develop um uh, a uk eu free trade agreement um alongside or shortly after um, the brexit agreement and um, this this um also sets the uk up as a a sort of a a competitor um to to the the eu on, on this front um and and so sort of seeing france move um more towards the kind of to the centre of EU thinking on that front um, uh, was, was something that was picked up on quite a lot and the second area again as I said the UK is extremely self-interested at the moment the second area is um, Macron's avert um, um, uh, openness to immigration as a positive economic force um, and um, that clearly plays very differently to um, the current take on immigration in in the UK at the moment, which was one of the um, the driving um, issues behind the Brexit decision, and and is is one of the kind of the principal um, uh, red lines for for Theresa May um, going forward in the Brexit discussions. And there is also a kind of um, a very um, sensitive bilateral element to this, um, because Macron has been very clear that, in his view, the the, Le Touquet agreements um, between the UK and France Um, around movement, um, around common policing of of migrants around the Calais border is something that needs revisiting and and that is clearly extremely sensitive for the UK um, uh, in the context of wider cooperation between the two countries.
1: Thank you. Um, I don't know if Borja is on. He seems he is on my panel, but we can't hear him. Um speaking speaking of Brexit and uh, and migration uh, as we were a few months ago many commentators looked at France as a kind of uh, uh, inescapable third domino after Brexit after Trump that it adds to fall just like the two previous ones. And now that Le Pen has been defeated, now that the prospect of a Brexit seems pushed back, even though we'll have to watch for the legislative elections in June, uh, and there were already some kind of a pushback in Austria and then in Netherlands, you hear a lot of people insisting on the ebb of of what seemed to be a populist wave. Um, it, I, I'd be interested in see in in understanding better how things stand from your national perspective. I don't know if Silvia or Piotr maybe can start on that one.
4: Yeah, I can if you want. Uh, this is Silvia again from Rome. I have to say that these days uh, the eurosceptics uh, parties and uh, movement are more silent. Uh, than ever, Uh, obviously they they have received a punch in their stomach and therefore uh, you don't hear much about it. On the other hand, uh, there is a lot of uh, EU euphoria, if you want, in the sense that from the government uh, side, Uh, Macron victory has generated definitely a sense of relief, Uh, it's a breath of uh, fresh air. for for the government, Uh, however, I see some uh, differences in the sense uh, that, uh, you know, the the current government as much as the previous one run by Matteo Renzi are, uh, they are uh, pro-Europe of course, Uh, they are very much European but they say we don't want this Europe. So in some ways they are portraying the Europe uh, factor in a sort of negative way. Uh, in a sort of, you know, uh, there is bureaucracy, there is no solidarity, uh, the issue of migration is splitting us, uh, and uh, we are facing an existential crisis. On the other hand, Macron, I think, has set the stage for a completely different narrative, uh, looking at opportunities we We want this Europe, we want to have a better Europe, we want to reform Europe, if not to uh, refund uh, Europe. Uh, I think uh, this is going to affect uh, has have implications on how uh, the democratic Party will conduct its own campaign, and I think they will uh, look very much at Macron campaign and uh, to find lessons and to find examples uh, from from there. Including the European hymn with which uh, he was on stage on the evening of the victory. That I think touched a lot all Italians. For a moment I think uh, almost uh, all Italians uh, felt to be first European and second, Italians. Apart perhaps from the North League uh, voters, uh, I should remember that their leader, Matteo Salvini, is the only leader that has uh, backed uh, um, Marine Le Pen uh, very openly. Even the Five Star Movement, uh, even though uh, Macron was uh, designed, was portrayed like the son of the <laughs> banks. Uh, in any case they didn't really support Marine Le Pen. This
1: is this um, is something very yeah. interesting that it was hard for Le Pen to actually make people understand that yes she had allies across Europe and I remember that in Poland too, in Poland too, uh, leaders from the PIS party uh, who from a simplistic uh, French perception would have been thought as Le Pen supporters actually had issues with her agenda whether it's freedom of movement or free trade. Piotr, Do you have any comment from the Polish perspective on that populist wave across Europe and across the West uh, discussion? Yes, uh, I think there you know, maybe two, just two points.
6: Uh, the One is that I think this, this hope that uh, with Macron's uh, victory, the, the tide of populism is over, these hopes would be uh, premature, of course. And I think this uh, populist liberal divide will be A longing or a lasting feature of the EU politics for the for the upcoming years. And if you look at Italy, but also at France still, and many other countries, the 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 populists are still very powerful, and they will certainly co shape the European and political agenda in the upcoming years. But what is but the second thing is that. and it is a more Polish, Polish view or, or a Polish perspective that indeed the Polish national conservative or, or largely also populist government, uh, in my in my view, miscalculated the developments in Europe uh, to a large to a large degree. this populist wave will uh, change the political landscape And Finland and, and, and Sweden, they will rather uh, look how to improve the EU by dif- completely different means than uh, the the supporters of less Europe uh, would imagine. Does um, or, does anyone? Or, uh, and so I think this is yes. Please. No, so I think this is this is an interesting uh, conclusion from the from the Polish perspective because it's. It has shown that this miscalculation on the on the part of the Polish uh, government has led to a even uh, stronger isolation of the of the Polish
1: government uh, than we would have uh, imagined uh, a few months ago. Does anyone else want to comment on either that? populist wave across Europe debate, or the way Piotr has just rephrased it in terms of what kind of Europe, a Europe built around nations and with less integration, or on the contrary, a, a more deeply integrated Europe?
5: Manuel, this is Susie. Um, just uh, very quickly from a British perspective, I wanted to um, pick up on Piotr's point about um, potentially it being premature to talk about the end of the populist wave, because um, if, if, if you remember ahead of the French elections, um, the Brexit vote and then the Trump vote were seen as the first two parts of what was going to be a trilogy um, uh, in terms of um, massive uh, shock, political shocks um, uh, and you know, populist victories, if you like. And, um, you might call it sour grapes, but I have to say that the, the focus in the British press um, has been um, uh, much more on the level of division in which the French elections exposed, um, and the fact that Marine Le Pen managed to garner 11 million votes being um, a huge shock um, in itself, rather than um, this being the kind of the end of the populist story um, and so I, I, yeah, I, I would agree that um, to some extent that, that, that question, um, it, it depends a little bit where, where you're looking at it from and there's this very um, amusing um, tweet which has been doing around I don't know if you've all seen it over the last 24 hours from, from Donald Trump um, who commented on um, the huge victory um, that was Brexit um, uh, at a much closer margin than you saw in the French elections, the same for his own huge victory, um, but then when it came um, down to the, the French um, election results: uh, 66, um, 66, 34%. Was it? Um, Trump's comment was, "Oh my God, look how divided France is." So, um, yeah, just, just, just to say that um, I, I think that this story, this debate, will continue.
3: Manuel, would yes. you allow me uh, a, a small vignette um, from uh, f- from a Bulgarian perspective? Our socialists, uh, the Bulgarian Socialist Party, actually probably half of them uh, did uh, not hide their sympathy for uh, uh, Mrs. Le Pen. Um, and they did that even after she lost. Um, and this uh, comes back to the point that Piotr made about what kind of Europe but also about uh, you know what is left and what is right and what is the role of the mainstream parties, how they feel insecure um, in the in and uh, and that uh, Mrs. Le Pen in a way uh, seems uh, to them more acceptable and more known as an entity uh, than Mr. Macron who is uh, much more uh, kind of a postmodern in a way. Um, And uh, we have to acknowledge uh, that this understanding of uh, uh, what Europe is in terms of cultural clashes also uh, is a very important uh,
4: lens through which we should read this election
1: thank you um yeah
4: manuel may i just add something about yes. this um, yes definitely it's not the end of populism i fully agree with that and actually there is a pretty much of a risk out there in the sense that uh, what macron said to his uh, citizens is europe will protect you and uh, uh, the challenge he has to face now is precisely to demonstrate that Europe will protect citizens and if he fails, and we will see uh, I think uh, in the next uh, few months already how he intends to put this uh, slogan forward in practice um, that there is the the risk uh, of a boomerang effect So uh, I agree, uh, the populism is not, but there is one thing that Macron already did and I go back to the way he did his campaign and I would summarize it with the word courage in the sense that he was courageous enough to bring forward some topics, uh, uh, some uh, principles he believes in that are not popular and it basically has demonstrated that if you stand by your values, what you believe in, you can even win elections, even though those principles are not so popular. And I think that this might have a dominant effect on those leaders that are facing elections in the next future, that have been a little bit more shy in this respect, and, you know, and without taking like, a strong stand and somehow eventually Europe has a true leader that it can make, of course can make mistakes but at least we know that there is someone who is, uh, you know, has uh, a very straight uh, backbone Fine. and if you look also, and I'll close it here here's a phone call with President Trump uh, he's precisely, the so first thing he said yeah, is uh, I'm not giving up on the Paris Agreement on climate change, which is precisely the hot topic in the U.S. today. So you know he doesn't shy away even in front of uh, uh, President Trump uh, and uh, another another very controversial or non-popular topics. And I think this is something
1: good for Europe. And and this is definitely also a conversation that is taking place in France. And Joseph. Uh, you should know, uh, and probably you know already from the German perspective that Germany is very much part of that debate that if Macron managed to push back on populist ideas on Europe uh, once uh, parts of his ability to to attend uh, uh, the the needs and the expectations from the people as Sylvia just mentioned have to do with how deep he'll be able to cooperate uh, for the more cooperative people or to convince and force solutions upon Germany for the less cooperative people is is this part of the reasoning uh, from the German side that yes to definitively push the ebb uh, 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 see the ebb of the populist wave, Germany may be expected to change, adjust some of its policies and obviously we're all aware that there are elections next September
2: Well, you know, in Berlin people um, very much now focus on Macron's uh, ability to start reforms in France. That is uh, the point that uh, won him uh, the support uh, of all major political leaders in in this country, is that unlike uh, Macron was arguing that he would push for French reforms independent of what happens on the European stage, that he would not see a European support scheme uh, as a precondition for reforms in France. And now people in Berlin will watch him uh, on that particular issue. Uh, should he manage to launch an ambitious program in France and actually push through on his announcements, can uh, trust in the fact that there will be movement in Berlin. That movement will likely not be what he has designed uh, in his uh, reform visions for Europe but it will have to be some sort of compromise between um, Berlin and Paris but I think people in Berlin are very aware of the fact uh, that uh, they need to be ready for a compromise. Ironically I think uh, it is there is a certain greater likelihood that at the end of the day we might see a Franco-German pact on something having to do with reform, with innovation, with growth, with winning the future than to see a, a major reform of the Eurozone at 19 member states which requires uh, treaty change and ratification and everything. Uh, so I think for reasons of... Uh, The symbolic value of uh, Franco-German reconciliation, there is a certain higher probability that something bilateral uh, can fly and something bilateral can be framed uh, to to contain a significant move by Berlin uh, in the direction of France than the wider EU or Eurozone picture.
1: And and that's a perfect segue to my last question uh, and I will ask Susie to answer that first now that Macron has won what do you think will be the one prospect and the one challenge in terms of his intentions to push for deeper integration in the EU we've just discussed uh, Eurozone integration but there are other topics including external relations and foreign policy you've got migration, you've got terrorism you've got defence uh, Susie what what is your take on that?
5: I mean, um, yeah, I, as you say, Joseph has u- answered on, on the, um, uh, in, in terms of the, um, the, the Eurozone uh, prospects, and, and, and I think um, that uh, all expectation is that um, it's going to be around um, that sort of internal economic area of cooperation that he will turn his attention to first. But from the British perspective, um, obviously the, um, the interest is on um, both the strong emphasis that he has put on security, um, from a domestic and European uh, perspective, and um, the, um, the the idea of um, flexible union, um, uh, which I think um, appeared in, in his programme and is, is very much a kind of a hot topic in discussion in, in, in EU circles already. Um, as you will know, this, um, there was this request as part of the Article 50 letter, which the UK um, issued um, to, to kick off the, the Brexit negotiations, um, a request to have a deepened special economic and security partnership. And I think that um, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the Macron presentation um, uh, uh, set a lot of of um uh, hairs running um in, in UK circles about the, the potential for moving that forward um France is known um, in the context of this, this discussion within the EU to be um, more open to the sort of ad hoc strategic cooperation um, around security um, less focused on the sort of the, the treaty basis and more focused on the on the what works in the security context and I think that those are all things that will be very appealing from a British perspective um, in terms of trying to move forward uh, UK cooperation um, with with Europe on this issue uh, from the outside.
1: Okay, thank you. Can I ask all of you uh, other colleagues to uh, tell me what is the, the one topic that you see as a posit- which has positive prospects and the one challenge that the French president will have to, to uh, uh, fra- f- uh, face with uh, in terms of his plans and, and for, for more integration in, uh, in Europe? Who wants to begin? Peter.
6: Yes, I think, uh, you know, the one uh, it's, of course, uh, easy to, to talk about challenges, because but I think the, the key challenge is uh, sort of a domestic nature. Um, the, um, Macron will have to, to face a lot of opposition to his plans to reform um, um, the French economy and also to further integrate the Eurozone, because it will not uh, be possible only on french terms uh, it will have to accommodate the interests also of other uh, players uh, especially uh, germany so i think the, here we have um, the, the, the key challenge for for macron and the opportunity uh, or the, the i think the, the opportunity related to macron is indeed as we have uh, reiterated it many times in this conversation that it could be a, a really a, a, a a game changer or or, um, really a very positive signal that you can win elections uh, on a very on a strongly pro-european platform that's it's very encouraging for for all political forces uh, which want to defend the eu project as such even if they are critical about some some details or about some issues they they have some very strong proposals and this is very much true in Poland, where we have this very strong uh, division between those um, uh, focusing very much on, on uh, the renationalization and uh, um, basically limiting the scope of integration, and those who, who think that the future is uh, the, maybe not more of Europe in, in traditional terms, but but simply that the, the EU project should be defended at any cost. And I think uh, this is the, the main hope and the main opportunity uh, related to, to Macron's victory.
1: Vesela, is there, is there a low-hanging fruit and or a key challenge that you can identify?
3: I think apart from uh, from that eurozone uh, challenge uh, and the perception that uh, Germany and France don't care about uh, 27. They uh, care about 19. Um, but the other one will be maybe this is also an opportunity. Will be the whole uh, subject of the European defence. We did not mention uh, the top that topic very much. But actually, uh, this is uh, one of the issues where I think uh, interests of uh, Germany and France can overlap and. Uh, uh, can, and, and, and this then, in turn, can benefit uh, the whole European Union.
1: Sylvia, from yes,
4: um, yes, very much so. I agree, the European defense. But we should not also forget that as Minister of Finance, Macron was the one who proposed uh, more budget for Europe and actually a European minister to, you know, manage this budget. So that would be an amazing challenge, let's see who are going to be the followers of this and if he can convince Germany in this respect, if I'm not mistaken, there was a drawing paper between him and his counterpart in Germany, so let's see if this is becoming a reality. But I very much agree that the biggest challenge, as for every leader in Europe today, is a very much a domestic one. And I think it has to do with jo- the creation of jobs and the transition, you know, of the jobs, of uh, the new kind of jobs, uh, through innovation, uh, research and skills and new skills. So that is a challenge that goes uh, throughout the whole Europe. Uh, and let's see how he will address it also because it was very much criticized uh, internally in France uh, precisely because of uh, his law on um on, on the jobs on labor etc so let's see if he has if he's able to have a look at it uh, from a progressive point of view and as i said before through uh sustainable jobs innovation and uh, the new g- digitalization which is going to be the big challenge in the world today
1: and and joseph to bring it to an end uh, what, what is your take on that
2: I think it is the domestic agenda. That is the uh, life or death is- issue for Macron. He has to show, and he only has this one turn to show this, he has to show that he can reform France and better the situation of the French people, better the situation of those who are now fearful and uncertain uh, at the same time. Uh, and if he manages to to get that done or get it done to a sufficient degree, he has won. if he doesn't manage then all of his european visions and ideas will not uh, suffice
1: well thank you very much that was uh, vesela chaneva from the sofia office piotr bourras from the warsaw office we also add susie denison who heads the european power program but was speaking from a british perspective and we also add joseph janning from the berlin office and Silvia Francescon from the Rome office. Unfortunately, Borja Lascheras from the Madrid office couldn't join for that conversation. But you can find all of my colleagues on Twitter, on uh, all our social networks, Facebook, and obviously on our uh, internet, on our website, www.ecfr.eu. Thank you very much. And we'll
0: uh, find again, meet again on, on this uh, podcast soon enough. Thanks so that brings this podcast to an end this week there's no bookshelf segment but there is a link on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts to uh, views from the capitals where many of the people who are on the podcast expand on their views on the implications of macron's election and I hope that you'll find even more interesting content there if you've enjoyed this podcast please do give a ranking on iTunes and tweet about it write on our Facebook page and if you have any comments please write to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu but for now from Manuel Lafon Yosef Josef Janning, Susie Dennison, Piotr Burras, Sylvia Francescon, Vesela Chanova and myself Mark Leonard it's goodbye!